we're going to carry on in Exodus. Um, I want to keep encouraging you to read this uh, through this book. I don't know how you're getting on with that. I'm not nagging you. I love you. You know, I don't want you to feel like, oh man, this is homework that we've got to do, but it's great to get into God's Word. This is the best book I've come across so far to read out to my kids. If you've got kids and you want to read it through to them, it's just, it's just you can see the goodies and baddies that you can kind of see. It's just really good good to get into, and it's a great storyline. And I'm in a bit of a tricky place this week. This is, a, this is like a, I don't know how engaged you were. Steve, Stevie read the passage out beautifully well. Great oratory, um, oratoring. Um, but this is a really tough passage. I mean, last week was tough, you know, the beginning of the plagues, but this is a really tough, difficult passage. This asks difficult questions of us. This gets to think about difficult things. And having made the case last week that the plagues were, excuse me, not a bunch of random annoying events. Remember I said that last week, the plagues were, they were not that. Remember I said some, the first time I came across this passage, I kind of, all these, these plagues in the Bible, I was like a bit like, oh man, this is God just annoying people to death so that he lets the people go. Do you remember I said that last week? And, and having said that, it's, it's not like that. I'm reading a, a story about a God who's going to take the lives of the firstborn kids. And I, I, haven't had, I haven't had sleepless nights because I'm confident in God's word, but this is a difficult passage. This is about as tough as it gets for us as Christians. Is this a story? Remember I said last week that God is showing himself to us. It's not just a bunch of random plagues, the locusts, the frogs, and whatever else come along. This is not just a random bunch of events. This is God declaring to us who he is and how we are to respond to him. God is saying, this is me, this is who I am. He's God. I mean, that's one thing when, when Moses puts his staff in the Nile and it all turns to blood and you go, okay, it's a bit weird. It's a little bit weird, but I can just about handle that God is, is showing the people something here. Is God still Declaring who he is here when he's taking the firstborn sons. Does God have to do this? And like the big question, and I guess having watched, is it David Curry's little snippets of David Curry's sermon, but I watched more closely the Twitter feed that followed it, the criticism that came when he talked about a God of love. So I was like, yeah, I mean, I hope I bring a little bit of that today. I hope I, I'll try and throw my arms around a little bit more. I want to tell you about God's love. And I believe it the same way he does, and the Holy Spirit can move in the same way. But can a God who is love act with such anger? Can a God of love act with such anger? And the answer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you, and it's going to be difficult to hear. And maybe, maybe it's good that you, you, you're, like, you're engaged and you go, right, I'm going to need to think about this some more, Ash. I'm not just going to buy it after you say, I'm going to think about this some more. The answer I'm going to give you is yes. A God who is love can act with such anger as this. There's two there's two things that I think we need to see about God along the way. I think we're going to see, the, we, don't have to, we can see him now if you want, but these two points, quote hanger points again for you to just hang on to. The first one, forgiveness with God, forgiveness always costs. And knowing this changes things for us. You get that? Forgiveness always costs. And knowing this changes things for us. Second point, sin, the wrong in our lives, missing God's standard, however you want to put it, and you might not be familiar with the word sin, but sin separates us from God, and this should break 
our hearts. These are the two things. So you can, if, if you've done the night shift and if you're really tired, this is you. <laughs> We've got a few that's done the night shift and they said to me, I'm going to give it my best shot, Ash. I'm going to stay with you as long as I can. But you that's on the night shift, you can, yeah, if you want to, there's no judgment here from me. You've got a, you might have another night shift tomorrow. You're good now, okay? Forgiveness always costs. Critical. So you've got this harsh story, this story that's going to break your heart, that's going to make you read through your Bible and go, really? Is this really true? And we get this point, forgiveness always costs, and sin separates us from God. So, um, so last week we did, I think there's nine plagues. Last week we did the first two. I think there's nine plagues. This week we're going to do the last two. So read up on the locusts and the hail and everything in between if you want. Um, if you've got, I don't think we've got this reading, so if you've got a device that you want to uh, find the Bible on or you've got a, a hard copy of the Bible or you want to go and get one from the back, then please help yourselves. I'm going to read through uh, the parable of the darkness. So the last two, the death of the firstborn is going to be the last one. We're going to get to that. It's going to break our hearts. It's going to wreck us. But before we get to that, the second to last plague was the plague of the darkness. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hands toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. And I, love, I just really love the way this is, this is written. Darkness that can be felt. That's how real darkness feels, isn't it, sometimes? I've, I've got to be honest, I've, if you've ever walked into this building and you've had to do the light turn on thing, darkness is a bit eerie, isn't it? This place is pitch black, and I've just about killed myself about 14 times as I've walked in. Darkness really can be literally felt as you walk over a chair sometimes. But I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever experienced an eclipse. It's not just that it goes dark, is it? You, there's something eerie, something moving about it. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and and so if, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, if you don't follow the Bible, if, if this is something you struggle with, this is, gonna, this is a difficult passage. Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. This is the second last plague. Total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one, this is pitch, no one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. So I don't know how that works, if I'm honest. I don't know how to, I can't explain it to you scientifically. Bible says that all of Egypt was dark and they were having a hard time and they were bumping into each other and it was just chaos and yet the Israelites were getting on just fine. That's going to really annoy Pharaoh, isn't it? That's going to annoy him to death. In fact, it does. He summons Moses. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, like he just is at the end of his tether. He's just completely gone. Go and worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you and leave the flocks and herds behind. This is, it, it feels to me like this is the climactic point for the Egyptians. This is the point of the story where they're gone, man, I have got nothing left. You, they've had like, you've, they've had the most horrible time for so long. They've been beaten up by plague after plague after plague. And now God takes the sun away. Now remember we said, last week that the, the Egyptians made deities out of some of these things. Remember we said that last week? They, they, they made deities out of the Nile. They made deities out of the frog. Here they make a deity out of the sun. They call him, and I don't know if it sounds like a kid's name, this God to me. They called him Ra. Said that with a bit of rasp. You're back with me, are you? <laughs> Ra, the, Ra, the sun God. And, I mean, and they worshipped him. And, and maybe, maybe you were out 
in your back garden this afternoon. I'm going to guess, looking at the color of some of your cheeks, you're out in the back garden, and you were worshiping, you were, you were in effect, worshiping, I was. I was out there, you know, I need a bit more of a tan. I need to look a bit better than I do right now. You were worshiping the sun god, but we were nowhere near the lengths that these people went to. They, took, they thought that the disc of the sun was the eye of Ra, and, they, and, and that he was the creator, and that he was the power, and they worshipped this as a deity. And then God says, I'm going to take that away. And these people were just completely lost. Completely lost. I don't think these people had ever been more lost. They had this way of life, this philosophy, this empire, these gods. They had it all mapped out, this big plan, and then God took it all away, and they're left to acknowledge him. Now, I want us to think about, I want us to think about the character of Pharaoh. I think we, there's so much to learn from some, from some of these pantomime baddies that are in the Bible that, that we get a glimpse of ourselves in. So he is, and you've got to feel a bit sorry for him, I think. He is losing his empire. This empire that he has, you know, it's been in his family dynasty for however long, you know, and he's built it up, and he's got this bunch of slaves, the Hebrew people who are going to come and build it for him. And, you know, all life's good. And he is, you read through the, the series of plagues, he is bargaining and he's making deals and he's trying desperately hard to hang on to this empire and it is falling away around him. You know, we can't even begin to imagine the riches that this Pharaoh has got. This is, this is the top dude in the whole world. He's got everything at his feet. And his empire is falling around about him. Just think about this. I... It's an observation of the world. In life, I think we're either building empires or we're holding on to them. And that's not just Bill Gates and everybody else. That's us. We do the same thing. We build empires or we hang on to them. The, the Bible says to us, whether great powers of the world or our own little kingdoms, all earthly empires will pass away. They're all going to pass away. These, these empires that we that we exalt, or that we, you know, these, these big businesses, that, these conglomerates that build up, or these big, na these big nations that build up China and America, they're all going to pass away. Their moment in the sun will pass. It will go. Some, some biblical wisdom for us to pick up on, because we build our own little empires. I've got my own little empire, Glen Eagles Court. Love my little house, house proud dude. My own little empire, my own little gang, my own little family, whatever career I'm going to have, we build up our little empires. Bit of biblical wisdom. Don't hold on to your little empire too strongly. Hold it loosely. It's going to pass away at some point. You say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, you won't want to say this out loud, I'm going to be like, fair, I'm going to impile all my interest in it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have something that I can be secure in, that really works for me, that I really understand. The Bible says, think about this, don't Hold this empire of yours so tightly, it's going to pass away. And Jesus says to us, instead of, instead of thinking about your own empire, think about what will last for eternity. And you say, no, that's a bit of a corny phrase. Ash, that's exactly what I thought Jesus would say. Jesus says, don't store up treasures for yourself here on earth. Don't build your empire here on earth. Think about what lasts. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where nothing can destroy it. I don't know about you, but with me, when I try and build up treasure in heaven, when I try and do good things, when I try and see what God's kingdom's all about and live in light of that, sometimes it feels like my good deeds just disappear into thin air. Do you ever feel like that? 
do something, a kind action, help an, an old lady across the street or spend some time listening to somebody. You think, what was the point of that? That's just dissipated into thin air. Jesus says to us, things like that, those, those are the things that have eternal merit. Those are the things you should be investing in. And you look at it and you go, that's not right. I've done a bunch of good stuff. Nobody's ever seen it. It's meant nothing. It's not meant nothing. These are the things that have eternal merit. Hold these things tightly, Jesus says. Hold your own little empires loosely. Learn the lessons of Pharaoh who hardened his heart. Last little point on this, on this first parable. I just strikes me as more than just a bit of a coincidence that all of Egypt is in the darkness. And there's this odd bunch of Hebrew people who exist in the light. I love it. I love it as a story. There's, there's the nation of Egypt cramped in darkness, and God's people are in light. And these people have re- re- reached this point where they've realized, and the magicians kind of give the game away when they say, this is the finger of God, that they can't do any more. They can't do any more. They have been confronted by God. Bible paints a picture for us of this. And you kind, of, you kind of work your way through the story. These people are broken over and over again. They've taken, their lives have gone down this path. The plagues have come over and over again. Things have been taken away from them over and over again against everything they could have tried to do to the point where even the sunlight has left them. And they are left where they are confronted. They've got nowhere else to go but to talk to God. Bible tells us that this is the position that everyone's going to face. We all, and this is an old school Christian message, we're all going to reach this point. God is going to orchestrate world events that mean that these empires that we hold on to, these things that we value, are going to turn to nothing and we're going to face him and we're going to have to deal with him. So that's the plague of darkness. I don't know if you could pop the, tech, pop the text up. Um, so that was quite a hard one. We're going to get onto the, the really hard one, the one that we've, we've got to wrestle with. Let's go through it a little bit. So Moses says, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt, every firstborn son Hard even to read out this bit. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill. And all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there has ever been or will ever be again. But among the Israelites... Not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, Moses says, bowing down before me and saying, Go you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. And hang on to this verse. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. So this is us at our first point. I've just got two points to make about this. That's all you've got to hang on for, two. First one is forgiveness always costs. Forgiveness always costs, and that, knowing that, changes things 
for us. I've always seen this story as, as it was an escape story, isn't it? It's the Exodus. People are escaping. That's the point. And I, as I kind of read through it, this is, my, this is my perhaps imagination. I put myself in the position of the Hebrews, and I think as the plagues dot along, as, as Pharaoh gets more and more uptight and more and more beaten up, I think I'm, I've got my jacket on and I'm ready to bolt. This is an escape story. Moses is saying, these people are going to leave. And I'm thinking I'm with them. And then if the darkness comes, I'd be saying to my wife or whoever's in my house, I'd be saying, look, this is the time to go. This is, this is it. We should bolt now. Look, it's dark. They can't see what they're doing. They're bumping into each other over there. We should leave now. And God says, no, wait. There's one more thing that you need to see before this becomes my escape story. God's final act. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's the thing that you need to wait for. Here's what's going to make the story complete. And it's going to be unpalatable to us listening to it. At midnight, here's what I'm going to do, Moses and all the people. I am going to attack all the firstborn. And you kind of listen to that and you go, well, Pharaoh, maybe. You could attack Pharaoh. Pharaoh's son, the firstborn of Pharaoh, well, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it, but I could kind of see the logic in it. But then see what the Bible gets us to think about. It says, no, I'm going to attack the firstborn son of, see this in verse 7, of the slave girl. And it even says the slave girl working hard. You couldn't sort of set it up that you're going to have any more level of compassion. It doesn't leave you at Pharaoh and say, yeah, you can hate this guy. I'm going to kill this guy. It says, no, think about the slave girl. I'm going to take her life. And then it says there's going to be a cry the likes of which you have never heard before. These people are going to wail in a way that's never been heard before. And the question that rips around your head, or it should rip around your head right now, as I try and preach this to you, is can't God just forgive? In this moment, can't God just say, I'm just going to overlook this? Can't God just forgive this? If God is love, he could forgive without needing to do anything, right? If God is inherently love, he could forgive without having to take any action. The answer to that is no. There is a tangible debt, and I'm going to explain this the best way I can, borrowing from the much smarter minds than we, so we get it, because we've, we've got to understand this. We've got to, got to get our heads around it. There is a tangible debt. I think I've used this explanation before. When somebody really wrongs you, when somebody really does you over, and I don't feel anything that hurts me more than when somebody cuts me up in the car. Do you know what I mean? When I'm in my car and somebody does something bad, that's just the worst thing. You can just, I'm, I'm, I'm angered inside. And what happens when somebody wrongs you? Maybe you can think of something else. When you feel really wronged, what happens in that moment? You've either got to, you've either got to get them back, and I've done that in the past, chased after them, been an idiot, chased after them, and then when you get there, what do you do when you get there? You're like, you just go like this, I'm, I'm angry. But you, gotta, you try and do something. There is something that you do. You either do that or you say, I'm just going to go back home and I'm going to have this horrible feeling inside of my stomach that I should have done something because I've been wrong. There is a tangible thing. Either way, whether you do something or whether you don't do it, there is a tangible sense of wrong. That's the first thing. With God and forgiveness, there is a tangible thing. I want you to think about that. Maybe you can argue with me afterwards if you say, no, it's not like that. That's how I see it. There is a tangible sense of wrong. Here's the second thing I'm going to tell you about God. God 
God cannot let go of the wrong. He cannot let go of the wrong. Do you ever have those moments? I have these moments as a, as a dad who's tired and has got three kids where you just, you just drop off a cliff when it comes to parenting and justice and being a good, consistent parent. That, that happens to me often. So, in fact, something, something akin to this happened to the other day. One of the kids comes through and they say, so-and-so, what give the name away, punched me and drowned my dolls. Just the worst crime you could ever think of in the world, isn't it? They punched me in the head and drowned my dolls. And here's what I say, having had a whole day of this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, I get to the point at the end of the day and I go, I don't care. Punched face, drowned dolls, that's a crime, isn't it? And I go, I don't care, you can hit him, I don't care. I've reached that point in my day, and it's okay, and I think later on maybe I'll pick it up, but maybe I won't because I'm exhausted of keeping the justice. Here's the thing with God. God cannot do that. God cannot think like that. God is perfectly just. He can't get to a place where he can go, I'm going to drop that. He has got to pick it up at some point. There is a cost that has to be paid. You know, like, we're thinking about the Rohingya Muslims, and it's on the news, and it bites you for five minutes, you're completely engaged, and then you've just forgotten all about it. God, God cannot do that. God sees that story and is scarred by that story and has to bring justice. Two things we've got to hold on to when we deal with this really tough issue. The Bible is telling us something. There is a tangible debt, and God cannot let it go. Somebody has to pay. And God leaves us this story and he makes us think about it. This costs something. The freedom that Israel will enjoy, the promised land that's coming, he makes them, he makes them hold on to it and remember it. And he says to them, this costs something. It always will cost something. It says to, in Deuteronomy 6.21, This is God speaking to the people. In the future, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, it's Deuteronomy 6, 21, 22, and 23, if you want to go back and check it later on. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the laws given by God? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to give us the promised land. What's he saying? When, you, when you're heading towards that promised land, when you're living in light of the promises of the way I'm going to provide for you, you need to hold in mind the cost. I think it changes things when you know the cost of something, doesn't it? When you're eating a, when you're eating a steak just tucking into a steak, you're just munching it down, it's fine. If you were visiting the abattoir that morning, just for a health and safety checkup, something like that, some horrible part of your job, and you're gonna have a steak in the evening, knowing the cost, it's gonna change how you're gonna chew on that steak a little bit, I think. Changes it for me. If you've, if you've got a wallet full of cash and your career's flying, and you're gonna to say to your wife, let's go out for steak tonight, you go out for a steak, it's gonna taste a lot different than if you've got no money in your pocket at all. If you've just got your job and it's your first paycheck, you're going to eat that steak in a different way. God says to us, knowing the cost 
of something changes how we deal with it. When, when there's a bunch of people following Jesus and Jesus' message has got a bit of traction, there's people there who are, who are asking him, you know, how, 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 do I deal, how do I absorb your message? How can I be changed by it? And Jesus says to him, if, if you want to go from just somebody who hangs around with me to somebody who is a disciple of me, what advice does he give them? Killing advice. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. He gives, them, he gives them the hardest thing in the world to think about. If your house is on the outskirts of Jerusalem or any big like Roman Empire city, you've got crosses everywhere. It's a horrible image. And Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple of me, if you're struggling to get from just wondering what I'm about, if you're struggling to really follow my kingdom teaching, here's the thing to do is to live knowing the cost. This is the first point. Forgiveness always costs, and it changes our lives when we think about that. And here's the last point. Here's the last protocol. Sin always separates, and it should break our hearts. So there's, there's two sort of things. I don't know if you could pop the text back up again just so people can have a half eye on it as we go through. This is, this is an occurrence that, as I sort of studied it in the week, just really really got to me, particularly, I think it's verse 7, I think it's, or maybe it's not verse 7, maybe you can find it on the text as I talk through it. The tragic, the tragedy of, of the death of the firstborn, particularly when I'm thinking about the, the Egyptian slave girl. The Bible gives us this picture. Here's, here is an awful tragedy. Here's something that you're not going to want to read anymore, something that's going to make you want to close your Bible up when you read through it. This is a horrific tragedy, and it's kind of hard even to formulate a more innocent-sounding more tragic occurrence than this. Here's the, you, and you've got to kind of hold that on the one hand, and then you've got to weigh it up with the fact that the Bible also shows us, here's the tragedy, there is this tragedy, the Bible also showed us that God has clearly made his way known. Moses, this has been the biggest, I don't know if, if, you've, if you're familiar with like evangelical campaigns, church campaigns, Christian campaigns, the Welsh revival and things like that. When, when Billy Graham, we've celebrated the, I don't know whatever anniversary it is of the Billy, Billy Graham campaigns when God's way is made really clearly known. The news about him in Egypt was clear. It was out. Everybody knew about this. Moses went every day to Pharaoh and he preached it. Preached it probably better than Michael Curry did. And there was like not just not just like some hands throwing about and, and all the rest of it. There were miracles to back it up. Everybody in Egypt knew the story of God. And you've got to hold that with the fact that people still died tragically at his hands. Here's, here's what the, where the picture leaves us. God can make himself known really clearly. People can be informed about his plans for the future, about his nature, about his wrath against wrong. You've got to hold that in one hand. You've got to say at the same time, and people will not respond. And this will be a tragedy. And it could have been avoided. Now think about weighing all that up. And then think about, and I want you to hold this. If, if you're a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian sometime, I want you to try and wrestle with this. Because I think it, challenge, it should challenge our souls. This is the world that we live in right now. This is where we're at. People are aware of God and his ways and his plans. Particularly, 
you know, given yesterday, Michael Curry's awesome sermon. I don't know how many people will listen to that. It's, the numbers are going to be awesome. Everybody in the UK will know about the love of God. Yet we have to hold that at the same time as knowing that God's wrath, this perfect holiness that he has, this difficulty he has with sin is out there at the same time. And people knowing about God's ways are unmoved by it and vulnerable to his wrath. I want us to be moved by the character of Moses. That brilliant verse near the end blows us away. He sees God and he's before Moses. He sees God, he knows his ways and he sees the people and he sees Pharaoh and he sees Egypt and he sees their pride and he knows what's coming with the perfect wrath of God. He knows what's going to happen as the story progresses. He knows what's going to happen at midnight tonight and we've not got there yet in the story but he knows what's coming and he is, what's the verse say? It's brilliant. He is hot with anger. He's hot with anger. Why is he hot with anger? His heart breaks. His blood boiled. He's moved. He's stirred. He's engaged and he's impassioned because he's moved and sees the plight of sinful people. When I read through that and I thought about my, I'm going to point the finger here, my own apathy. What breaks my heart? What gets my blood boiled. When are the occasions when I can't shut up? Yesterday I had an occasion where somebody, somebody didn't understand the offside rule, something as naff as that. And I just, I was like, I've got to speak into this. I've got to explain the offside rule. I couldn't hold back. And I met somebody the other day who'd, who'd never seen Star Wars, any of them. And my heart was broken. I was like, what? How have you never seen Star Wars? I was chatting away about my holiday plans. I met another guy the other day. He said, I've never been to the south of France. And I could have just, I could have let that go, couldn't I? I didn't need to jump in there. But I, I went, no, I need to speak about this. The south of France is amazing. You need to get down to Nice. You need to put your towel on the beach. You need to read a book. This is a beautiful thing. I was compelled. I was moved. And it was just trivial stuff. And every day I meet people who I come across and I have to, I have to look them in the eye and I realize that they are heading towards the wrath of God. And I'm not moved or bothered. I make polite chit-chat. I ask them about their day. Do I not care about them? Am I not moved by them? Do I not believe this story? God says to us today, we need, in our kind of middle class, church is kind of easy, don't ask a lot of us lifestyles, we need to know about the cost. We need to know that sin the wrong stuff we've done means that we are separated from God. And we need to know that this is a tragedy that breaks Moses' heart. And it should break our hearts too. And I don't think that it means that we go on and we take our Bibles out and we see the man in the street and we open up our Bibles or we get the placards out. I'm, I'm not probably heading that way. But I feel like in our hearts we should at least be saying, this bothers me. This troubles me. This stimulates me. This gets me going. I feel like I want to talk about this with you. I want to engage you on some level. There is a world out there that we love, that we should be bothered about, that needs saved. And I'm sorry that that's old school language, but that is the truth. 
And that's where we're going to leave the story this week. Hopefully on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Go home and read Exodus 11. Go home and read Exodus 12. Israel is on the cusp of freedom. What will it be that saves them?